0: Friends, uh, sometimes I don't know what to expect from people who introduce uh, the speakers, but uh, you take what it comes and take it in your stride, all right, and don't get too uh, worried about it. Thank, thank you, Ronald, for, uh, for your uh, kind introduction, and thank you for your church for inviting me here this evening. Uh, I think originally you were hoping to get uh, a couple of other speakers, uh, Papudun and Pastor Zaliman from the SIBM, S-I-B uh, in Sarawak, um, so I think I'm coming here as a spare tire. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 although that might not be exactly the way it came about, but <laughs> but I think that's the net effect of it. But never mind, I'm happy to be able to bring a word from the Lord, um, and I believe there's a, word from the Lord, not just for this church, but for the Malaysian church at this time. And I hope in the next, tonight, tomorrow night, and on um, Sunday morning, uh, we'll be able to hear what God is saying to us, uh, because I think we live in a very, um, how can I describe it, Uh, in in the Chinese word, uh, 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 danger can mean a crisis, uh, can can mean an opportunity, or can can mean something dangerous. Um, and, and it is, um, and I think we live in such a time where we have, either if we take for God seriously and take him, obey him, we'll be able to move forward in a way that a church in Malaysia doesn't even, could not even imagine, but if we did obey him, I fear for the consequences, but we'll discuss this as we go along. Let's pray together. <laughs> Father, we want to come into your presence here. We ask, Lord, that it may please you to be very much present. We ask, Lord, that you may minister to us. And Lord, it's not about me preaching here. It's about whether you are present here in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I want to we want to come to you and say, Lord, will you please come? Because we live in a time when we know that we need you. Without you, we are not safe. Without you, we do not have the strength or the ability to move forward. But we don't want to be left behind, even as you begin your work in our midst. So we want to ask, Lord, will you please come? Will you please speak to your servant? Will you minister to us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you allow me, I... I'm finding the aircon a little bit strong, so I'm going to take my jacket. uh, Okay. Hmm. I cannot take cold when if I allow the thing to blow on me like that, um, by the time I finish the sermon, my nose will be blowing like, will be running like a waterfall. Right, what I would like to do tonight, and these three sessions is this I've given a theme uh, to Pastor Ronald that. I'll follow the theme of prayer and revival. And tonight I want to focus more on the theme of... It's, a whole, it's going to be an integrated three sessions. But tonight I want to focus a little bit more on revival and what does it involve. Uh, tomorrow I will sp- uh, speak a bit more about prayer. How do we seek God in prayer together? And on Sunday morning I will speak on the theme of what is God doing in, in this nation today? And what does he expect of the church at such a time as ours? Okay, let me begin by, asking, by looking at this question. What is revival? The simple answer about what is revival is when the Holy Spirit comes upon not just one individual in power, but comes upon a whole group, a whole church, and oftentimes a whole region in power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon individuals in power, we oftentimes refer to it as being filled with Spirit or being baptized in the Spirit. And when this thing happens to whole groups of people or whole churches, then we are talking about revival. Now I know some of you are a little bit uh, concerned now because I'm using a term that uh, gives rise to a lot of uh, misinterpretations, arguments. What does it mean to be baptized, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, I think the simplest way to explain it because there's a lot of controversy over it but the simplest way uh, to explain it and I think it sticks, sticks to the Bible is that actually what most people don't realise is that the Bible uses the term baptism or to be baptised in the spirit or with the spirit in two somewhat different ways. The first way is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 a passage which most of you are familiar with. By one spirit you are baptized into the one body. It's referring to the Holy Spirit coming to give us gifts, and when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes us and baptizes us into one body. Baptize means, in that sense, means to immerse. There's a meaning of the word baptize, to immerse, the Greek meaning of the word baptize, to immerse, to deep. So when a boat uh, sings, you say the boat has been baptized. All right, That's an example, there's a meaning in Greek. So when he says, by one Spirit, have you been baptized into the one body, that means the Holy Spirit takes us and immerses into the one body. And what's a one body? Huh? The, the church. The Holy Spirit takes us and immerses, brings us into the church. By one Spirit, you have been baptized in one, one body. Now in that sense, all of us have been blessed by the Holy Spirit. And all of us have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God working in us. So, for example, in Paul writes in Romans chapter eight, verse nine, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Anyone who have came, uh, believe in Jesus Christ, who calls upon Him as Savior and Lord, we already have the spirit of Christ in us. So, one Corinthians chapter twelve, verse thirteen, very simple: by one spirit, every one of you here who have believed in Jesus Christ, right? You have been immersed into the body of Christ, and that's what the Holy Spirit has done in you. You, act, The Holy Spirit is in you, and it's active in you. Now, but the Bible uses the word baptize, the Holy Spirit, in a second sense, and oftentimes we think that this, those two senses are similar. In the passage I was read to you just now, from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, it is the context is that John the Baptist, Who's a prophet, um, which the Old Testament prophets appointed to, say he's gonna come and he'll become the one who announces the coming of the Messiah, the Savior. And John the Baptist comes on a scene. So we read, for example, in John the Bapt- uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. For this is he who was spoken by prophet Isaiah when he saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. In other words, before the Messiah comes, God is going to send another prophet to open the way for him, to announce his coming. Um, that was the meaning of it. Now, what, did, what was John the Baptist's message? He recognized that God in Christ was coming. This Messiah, this, this prophetic figure, this, 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 this anointed one from God, special messenger of God, has been, the prophets has been looking forward to it for centuries. Various prophetic books have talked about him. Now he's coming. And he says, look, you guys better get yourself prepared. It is like saying, Lord. Um, the chief minister is going to come and visit you. You want to clean up the whole church. You want to make sure that it's nice, and you know. You know? Uh, so, so, uh, so you, 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 you. So John the Baptist saying that look, you got guys got to clean up your whole life. and that's why he says he was very strong. He uses words like um, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Sadducees coming to his baptism. He said to them, you brood of wipers. Very strong language. uh. In Malaysia, he said, you snakes. Uh, you, You understand the language. You snakes, he's basically saying, who want you to flee from the wrath to come, the wrath of God's coming judgment? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you're truly repentant, your life must show the fruits of repentance. Don't say you repent, but your life shows nothing. It's the same, live in the same old way. So he says, bear fruit in keeping up with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our forefathers. Don't think that because you are a descendant of Abraham, you automatically go to heaven. He says, God, and he goes on to say very strongly. he says, but for God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. God will accept these children of Abraham raised from stones, and send them to heaven, you guys you send to hell. Basically, that's what uh, uh, John the Baptist is saying. Even now, the axe is laid to the roots, to the roots of the trees. You notice, if you don't produce fruits, God is going to cut down the tree that is unfruitful. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Then, listen to this. This is where it becomes relevant to us. He said. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I want you to listen to what John the Baptist is saying. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and his fire. Is it going to be a tame affair? When your pastor Ronald comes and says, God is going to baptize you with fire. Isn't going to be a tame affair? You're talking about the flame sweeping across the whole community. It's an overwhelming experience. And that's what John the Baptist was talking about. It's not something that's tame. Now, actually, John the Baptist is using the word baptism in a second way, in the way in which it's used in Greek. Because the word baptism can also be be used in a sense of an overwhelming experience. We actually find in the Gospels, in a story, for example, that as Jesus was, together with his disciples, was walking towards Jerusalem, and those of you who understand the story, all the disciples actually were fighting among, they think that their master was going to declare himself king, the Messiah king, a new David king in Jerusalem. So all the disciples were fighting among themselves. What were they fighting over? Huh? They were fighting over the cabinet positions. You got the point? They were all looking for the plum jobs in the cabinet. And so James and John come and say, one of us wants to be president, the other one wants to be, one of us wants to be prime minister, the other one wants to be deputy prime minister. Bolega. That was actually what they asked him. Actually, they didn't ask him. They sent mommy to do it, for those of you who know the story because they were too shy to do it themselves. So they asked mommy to go and ask. And what was Jesus' reply? He said, do you guys know what you're asking or not? Can you go through the baptism that I'm going to go through? You read this in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, 38, 39. Can you go through the baptism? What's he referring to when he says the baptism I'm going to go through? He's talking about his arrest, his suffering, his death on the cross. Now, the word baptism is used in this second sense as an overwhelming, oftentimes a painful suffering, overwhelming experience. All right? Now, so John the Baptist, when he talks about the fact that he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, he's talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit will come and like wildfire sweep across the region, touch many lives, and bring about a fundamental change. He's not using the word baptism in the Holy Spirit in the same sense as is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, if you understand that different way, then you begin to understand what the Bible is talking about. The revival. When the Holy Spirit comes and touches one individual one at a time we are being filled, we are being baptized in the Spirit. Overwhelmed. But when the Holy Spirit comes and doesn't just touch one, but touch two, touch three, touch ten, touch hundred, touch a thousand, then you're talking about revival. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Okay? And it's in that sense, it's similar to Paul when he talks about the fact that do not be drunk with wine, But be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen. When you're drunk with wine, you're intoxicated. You're a little bit tipsy, gila gila, right? But you're controlled by alcohol. And what Paul is doing is to use a simple illustration. Don't let the alcohol control your life, but let the Holy Spirit overwhelm you, and control you. And in fact, in revivals, eh, when people come. When the Holy Spirit comes and touches people, many people actually get tipsy. But that's a different story. We don't have time to go into that, but you can read the stories about it. All right? Okay. Now, so revivals is about the Holy Spirit coming to touch not just one, not just two, but whole church, whole region, etc. There are many examples of this, but the most simple example is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 where Jesus tells the disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Revival comes, he sends us out. There's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what happens in Acts chapter 2? We find the people... Suddenly being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in languages that they don't understand. But it's a language that's given by God, the gift of tongues. And then later on in the chapter, you find Peter preaching. People are cut to the heart. 3,000 people were converted. Wow, don't you all want to pray that Pastor Ronald will preach like that? I'm sure you want, okay? I wanted to see him preach like that, okay? So you better pray for him, right? Now, don't laugh because it's a reality. And I'm talking about revival simply because I'm putting the challenge to your church. What does your church want? You want to carry on like this for the last 20, 30 years? Or to begin to see your church being used by God to be a blessing to the neighborhood, to the whole nation? So, friends, although I may be using a humorous illustration about getting your pastor to preach like that, I do want to, you to take the challenge seriously because that's what God is saying to you. Many of you will remember Mrs. Koo Chok Sang, right? Mrs. Koo Chok Sang. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, most of, many of you know, the older ones know. She was a mem- long-time member of this church. She passed away a few years ago. Eileen Koo's mother, for those of you who don't know. You know, John Sung, the greatest evangelist that China produced in the first half of the 20th century, visited Malaysia three or four times. He visited Penang 1935, 1936, 1938 again. And I don't know which year that was, but Mrs. Ku one day came up to me. I was talking about John Sung. He said, Yong, I'm so glad that you're talking about John Sung. I was 12 years old when he came to Penang. And my father was a traveling preacher. And he was preaching with tremendous authority and power. And I was privileged because my father was a preacher. I had to do the job. People were line up to be prayed for healing at the end of the campaign. And I would stand at the door. When he finished praying for one person, I would let the second person in. I saw my own eyes. He said, they didn't even have time to ask the people what was wrong. But as soon as the person comes, John Song and the prayer team, we just pray for them, oftentimes praying in tongues. And the people will leave the room being healed. That happened in Penan in the Madras Lane Church. Friends, when I talk about getting a pastor to pray, preach, and 3,000 people get converted, I'm not talking about some cock and boo stories. I'm not talking about some Peter Pan's Never Never Land. I'm talking about what God in Christ has promised us. You, and it's not just for, pastor, for all of us, you receive power when Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Penang, in Trinity, in the whole of Malaysia, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It's a challenge one that you're willing to take up. When revival comes, things will happen. Do you know, as I've indicated, God, the Holy Spirit, has visited us many times in Malaysia. When John Sung came, he visited Malaysia. There are still a few old people alive who will talk about John Sung. Most of them have gone to heaven now. But those who I've talked to who have met John Sung, Almost all of them will have a glint in their eyes when you talk to them, when they remember John Sung's ministry of what God did. I just talked to an old lady recently, and she says, and he was referring to an auntie of, his, of hers. She said, she had just gone, got a child, and John Sung was preaching in Malacca, and this child was in a window, had just fallen out of the window. And whether the child would recover or not, we did not even know. He said, We took the car, drove all the way to Malacca, and prayed for this. Johnson prayed for this child. And this child recovered fully. This is what God is able to do in our midst. You know, that was one revival. In the 1970s, in the 1980s and early 90s, many churches were caught up in the charismatic renewal. I'm one of those who happened to believe that God visited Malaysia in a powerful way in those days. And some of you went to those meetings as well, I'm sure. There are a lot of things which are not very healthy in those meetings. I don't have time to go into it. But there were things that God was doing, shaking the whole church up. And many churches exploded. You look at all the big churches in Kuala Lumpur, all of them grew in that period. People were healed, prophetic move utterance were given, people who were demon possessed were delivered. People who had broken families or messed up business got their lives sorted out. But I think those who got involved in charismatic renewal got a little bit too proud. Too much competition. And everybody got involved chasing the prosperity gospel. I think the Holy Spirit was very grieved, very sad. He left. That's why if you look at all the big churches in Kuala Lumpur that grew in the 80s and 90s, almost all every one of them, their growth has stagnated in the last 20 years. You see, when God is working, He works powerfully. But when we grieve Him, He withdraws. His power is no longer available to us. God did not only just come in a charismatic renewal. Some of you will know about the Barrio Revival and what happened in Bakalalan. In the Barrio Revival, those of you who read the story, it's about Few weeks before the, in those days, the LCE exams, a bunch of form tree boys were suddenly so caught up with a sense of sin in their life that all they could do was to pray and to pray and to pray. And the headmaster and the, and, and the teachers got so worried because LCE exams were just weeks away and these guys were just didn't want to do anything. So they mandated precise times, fixed time for study. So those boys would study hard during those fixed times. But the moment the study time was over, they just pep, put their books away, and they would gather together and start praying again. Amazing things were going to happen. Little boys, tree boys were given prophetic gifts. People's lives were changed. But incidentally, that year they got the best results in the whole district for tree, And one of those was Idris Jala. For those of you who know the story, Right, the minister And that was how it happened And from there in 1973 The revival went down to Bakalalan And when they came to Bakalalan Which was about 100 kilometers away They walked 2 or 3 days in the jungle To preach in Bakalalan First night Second night The first night was a 17 year old girl who preached Who had just finished form four, form 4 or Form 5 And next night was a pastor who preached but the Holy Spirit began to work. People start falling to the ground. Now, these are stories that are actually real up because I went up to Bakalalan. I met some of those people who were there and they actually told me that was exactly what happened. And some people started falling to the ground. Two women, one was knocked down by the Holy Spirit and was down on the floor for 72 hours even though she was pregnant and finally got up after a time when in 72 hours the Lord just ministered to her, brought tremendous sense of repentance in her life. Another woman was down there for the full 24 hours. Things that was happening and that's those revivals. And those of you who know, you find that the church in Sarawak grew from about 20% in 1970 to Year to 30 years later, it was 42 percent. The churches grew from 20 to 42 percent over a period of 30 years. That's revival. The point I'm making is this that when the Holy Spirit comes, He does things that are way beyond what we can expect. But don't forget. These stories are real stories that document. What are the fruits of revival? What happens when revival comes? What are the, what are the fruits of revival? First, I've indicated already, when a revival comes, the Holy Spirit pours out. And when all these signs and wonders follow, evangelism, repentance, he- healing, exorcism, church growth, I mentioned to you those form tree boys out in Barrio, 73. They were suddenly given gifts of prophecy. For example, there was one headmaster who was going for a, uh, for, for a meeting. He was afraid he would lose that meeting for some discussion. He carried a very powerful charm in his pocket. And as he walked past, the form boy said, this man there's something unclean in his man. He's carrying something unclean. They knew it. How did you know it? It was the Holy Spirit who gave it to them. Signs and wonders begin to manifest itself. That's the first thing. The Holy Spirit is poured out. Secondly, when the revival comes, there's oftentimes deep conviction of sin. We read this in Acts chapter 2. When Peter preached, 3,000 people were converted. Why? Because many of them, you read Acts chapter 2, verse 37, they were cut to the heart. There was a deep sense of conviction. They recognized there was something wrong. In the story of the Bacalano Revival, as I talked to the people there, they say, many people just fell to the ground. And those two women I mentioned, one of the women who was down there for 24 hours said, when she was down there in coma, the angelic visions came to her. And one of the angels came to her and told her, you have killed three, five babies. You know, in the, among tribal people, they have a lot of taboos. And when certain things don't go right, when the babies are born, they just kill them. It's infanticide. It's practice because of the superstition. And they, the spirit, the angel warned her that if she did not repent, she had to face judgment. It, it brought about a tremendous transformation in her whole life because she was confronted with the reality of God who knew what was inside. So that's the second thing. When revival comes, as the Holy Spirit comes, it produces deep conviction of sin and deep seated repentance. It was one of the interesting stories they told me was this. Many the men were also knocked down to the ground in Bakalalan. You know, some of you have been to charismatic meetings, people just fall down and they get up, right? And they get up five minutes, ten minutes. But these guys were down there. They cannot, as I say, one was down there for 22 hours, 24 hours, the other one that was down there for three days. But there was some men and women who was down there for a few hours. And they became conscious after, they, after the Lord had spoken to them. But they could not get up. They were totally unable to move. And there was many of these cases were people who had quarrels with neighbors in their own village. And as the Lord spoke to them about the fact that they had been fighting and quarreling with their neighbors, they had to send friends from the church, huh? go back to the village, bring those they quarrel with back to the church. They had to reconcile, and after they have reconciled, only then could those fellows on the ground get up. And that was told to me by those who actually saw what happened. And I wonder how many people will be getting up or stuck the ground tonight in this church if the Holy Spirit came in the same way. There's deep conviction of sin and there's deep seated repentance. There's a second thing. The third great impact of revival is that there's always trans- social transformation. The best illustration example of this is found in our own tradition, in the Methodist tradition. Wesley, when he preached, his message touched many people who were poor. He required them to live godly lives. So if you look, and I suspect many of you don't know this, but if you look at the Methodist discipline, at the beginning of it, there's a section called the General Rules of the Methodist Church. How many of you have read that? Can I see your hands? I know. A few of you pastors, and those who have got nine help here, most of you have not read it. But do you know, in Wesley's time, every member had to know those rules? Why? Because there was a set of rules drawn up by Wesley as a guide for their Christian living. It's only two page. It printed out, it's two A4 pages. But it's simply elaboration of three simple rules that Wesley gave. Do no harm, avoid evil of every kind, the negative. Do all good, the positive. Three, attend upon all the ordinances of God. In other words, go for all the spiritual meetings, the prayer meetings, the Bible meetings, the Bible studies, the Sunday worships that you ought to go to. Three simple rules avoid all evil, do all good, take your spiritual life seriously. And the general rules of the Methodist Church were given as a set of simple guidelines for all Christians to live. The result was a holy people, a transformed people. I mentioned just now that the charismatic renewal touched the Malaysian church. It hit us for about 20 years and is flattened off now. Why did the revival stop? Because our lives were not right. Those, the sins were not addressed. People became proud. People were more interested in the prosperity gospel than in repentance and holy lives. People were more interested in spiritual gifts than to learn to love their neighbour. So the Holy Spirit withdrew. But do you know the Methodist revival in the first hundred years... Just went on and on and on. Why? Because they took holy living seriously. And because the church took holy living seriously, the Holy Spirit was welcome. And the Holy Spirit continued the work. And one of the results of this was there were various results in the British, English society as a result. Many of the people who became Christians were actually poor people. But because they took, live holy life, they begin to live disciplined life they begin to save what they earn instead of wasting on drinking or gambling that sort of thing he, they begin to take their family life responsibilities seriously and the families became was able to move up the social ladder and that's where Wesley taught this saying, he says gain all you can, save all you can but also learn to give all you can Because if you have too much money, you also can become greedy and self-seeking. But history tells us that what Wesley taught was one of the key means by which the poor people in England were able to move up social ladder. But there's a second thing, even more powerful. One of the main problems that we are struggling with in this country is the whole issue of corruption, right? But are you aware that England in Wesley's time was even far more corrupt than our Malaysia? I'll give you a simple example. In Wesley's time, the bishops were paid 200 times what your pastor would get. I was wondering why they never did it when I was a bishop. <laughs> now, that's a simple example. The corruption was even within a church. And yet, we have studies shown that one of the key reasons why England was able to overcome corruption was partly, not 100%, but largely. But Wesley had a major contribution. The contribution that Wesley and the revival movement made because Wesley demanded holiness in the lives of the people. Many of the poor people learned to live lives of integrity, learned to work hard, learned to be self-respecting, And they begin to be able to make England strong. And the the, the emerging middle class were people who took integrity seriously. And we have records, you know, that when mill, for example, factory owners were looking for workers, you know, they looked, what were the criteria? They were looking for Methodists in the early Industrial Revolution. Why? Because they know that the Methodists work hard. I hope they also work hard today. They knew that the Methodists would not steal their tools and take it home and sell it. And they were looking for Methodists. We have actual records of it in documents. Some of you will remember reading about Lee Kuan Yew telling about how he first went to London after the Second World War. And he found out, to his great surprise, newspapers are stacked up in London, nobody jaga. There was just a coin box there. You take a newspaper, you put your money in. How many of you remember reading it? You try doing that in London today. Or maybe try to it in Penang today. you go bankrupt in no time. But what was it that brought about such honesty up to about the end of the Second World War in Britain? A lot of it had to do with the Methodist revival and their co-workers. The revivals brought integrity into society, and it was one of the key ways in which corruption was was, was, was dealt with in England. Can the church do anything about corruption in Malaysia? Not the church at the moment, because when you look at unfortunate Malaysian church, many of our own Christians are caught in the thick of the corruption. And God is coming now to ask, where are the fruits of repentance? The Holy Spirit comes in revival. Repentance and church growth, social transformation, missions. When the Holy Spirit comes, the church is thrust out. Jesus said, you receive power and holiness that comes upon you. You will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And you read the Acts of the Apostle, you found that exactly what happened. The church was just thrust out. And that was one of the fruits of the revival. The question then becomes, what is God saying to us today? How does revival come? I want to say, by beginning I'm saying this, revival is always a work of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot command God to bring revival. You cannot think that you can engineer revival. There's a story of this revivalist in America was supposed to preach in a place uh, um, uh, in, a, in a week or two. And just before he came, there was—he got a telegram. In those days, you only use telegrams. Says revival is broken up. He sent me a telegram. He said, "Wait till I come." Revivals, don't wait because the Holy Spirit doesn't wait for you. Because it's His work, not my work, not Ronald's work, not evangelist's work, not any of our work. It comes as a result of God's initiative but it can also come when we learn to pray. And we come to God humbly and say, God, we ask you. And in God's time, not at our time, the revival will come. Oftentimes, even when it doesn't come, we need to continue to pray. And we need to pray so that when the revivals come, we'll be ready. Otherwise, a revival can come and the church, when it's not ready, will be left behind. I think to some extent, that was what happened in the Methodist church in the 80s and 90s. God was working the charismatic renewal. We had our structures. We had no time. We had no place for the Holy Spirit to work. And many of our Methodist churches were actually left behind. Other churches just exploded. We need to be better prepared this time when God comes. The question then becomes, what can we do? We can ask God for revival through prayer and through seeking. Now, you remember Jesus told the disciples, go back to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. What did the disciples do? That will test whether you know your Bibles or not. What did the disciples do? At least you know your Bibles. Hell attend? Pray. You sure? Good. <laughs> at least you know the Bibles. They held a 10-day prayer meeting in the upper room. They held a 10-day prayer meeting in the upper room. From the time of ascension, today of Pentecost. Now Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in great power. Tomorrow I'll tell you the story of Pak Agung the leader of the Bakalalan Revival. How for 10 years, he led the church. The Barrio team came, there was a revival. But for the next 10 years, Pak Gong led the church to clean up the whole church, Prepare by praying night and day. And then a greater revival burst out in 1985. That's, you have to wait for that for tomorrow, so make, you have to come back tomorrow. John the Baptist said, Bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. I baptize you with water, but after me is somebody coming. He is far greater than me. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You notice John the Baptist is saying if we want to be touched by the Lord, we must learn to live our lives in a way that demonstrates true repentance, true seeking after Him. So what is God asking of us today? I want to suggest a few things by way of closing. First, I believe God is on the move. On Sunday, I'll share a little bit about my own reflections about G14. I don't think G14 would have happened the way it happened if God's hand was not in it. And on Sunday, I'll share a little bit about that. So God is on a move in our nation today. As I said, He has come to our nation before. Touched a church at different times, through John Song's ministry, through Charismatic Renewal, through Revival in Bari and Bakalalan. The church has grown if you take the church, for example, from the end of the Second World War, to the year 2020, about 60 years, the church has grown from about three percent to 9.2 percent. It's in a great growth. and that's why our Muslim friends are very threatened by Christianity. They think that we're trying to take over the country. There's nothing to do with that. The Holy Spirit is working. Simple. The church has been growing, growing, growing. Every other group, apart from Muslims, the numbers have declined. But the percentage of Christians have kept going up. God has been has blessed the church, and I believe that He's going to move again. But as I say, our failures in the past to follow up with what God is doing, like what I shared about charismatic renewal, has hindered the revival to become full blown. But there are indications, and I'll share again on Sunday, that He is on a move again. But will we work with Him? That's the first question I want to ask us. The second thing is this. What is God asking of us today? John the Baptist says, bare fruits worthy of repentance. Bare fruits in keeping with repentance. When a church is walking with God, the Holy Spirit is poured out. There's repentance, there's holy living, there's transformed communities, there's mission, as I gave example. But the problem is, Most of us are quite used to a very ordinary Christian Christianity where these things are not seen. We don't expect healing to take place in Trinity Methodist Church, do you? You don't. That's why it never happens. Do you see the point I'm making? But you need to say, God, you promised us this gift. Why is it not happening? And you go to God in prayer and say, God, in Jesus' name, we ask it. And you have no right to break your promise. You have to keep your promise. Then God will begin to work. You see, we are so used to very ordinary, everyday Christianity. We are so comfortable. This weekend, 61st anniversary. And God is saying, on the anniversary, the question I'd like to ask is, where are the fruits worthy of repentance? Do I see fruits? He's asking that of us as a church. He's asking us individually. I promise you the Holy Spirit, but have you used avail yourself of His power? I call you to spend time in prayer. Are you giving me time? I call you to reach out to nations, Is the church involved in world missions? These are the questions that God is putting to you. This brings me to the third point. As I said, we have had it easy. We are so used to comfortable Christianity. And sometimes we, and what I'm worried actually after the G14 is the church will say, ah, senang sadka sekarang. Everything's sorted out already. Last time we were so worried, now everything was okay. But you're fooling yourself if you say that. Because the precious are still there. And so sometimes you're so used to comfortable Christianity. We see things in a totally different perspective. I understand, for example, you sit on a property and with your own savings. These properties that you all have will easily be worth 20 million when you think about all the land, all the am I right? Roughly about that. You know, I took. A couple of my friends, Papudun and Pastor Zaliman, the two whom you're hoping to see, come, a month ago, they were in KL. I took them, we had a hot dinner together, as we went out, we saw one of our big Methodist buildings, brand new building. And I said to him, and this is no, not, not a, please don't misquote me, because this is not any criticism of KL churches, right? This is not a special criticism. I just said, I said, you know what, as a Methodist, I'm not proud of our buildings. I'm sorry if I offend you. I say, I go to a place of Tulu. The Chinese Methodist have six or seven big churches, but the Iban Methodist Church was still trying to find money to build a small church. Sometimes we have so much. Then they say, how much did the building cost? I say, about 20 million. And you know what Papudun said to me? With 20 million, we can probably reach most of Sarawak. you hear what I say? With 20 million, we probably can reach most of Sarawak. He and Pastor Zaliman would travel to the interior of Sarawak. I had to help them find money from one of the churches. One of the Methodists is supporting them now. Right? Because travel in Sarawak using uh, four-wheel drives or even worse, using boats, the cost is very, very expensive. And they just could not do enough work because there was no money to travel. And that's the context of the statement. With 20 million, we can reach the most of Sarawak. And friends, you realise that? Now that helps you to understand how you need to use your money. Friends, please, please, I beg you, don't do it the same old way. Look at the needs around us, not just in Malaysia, and there's great needs in the Malaysian context. Look at the world. But do me a favour, don't just dish out money, charity, Orang Asli, and our indigenous churches. You're killing the churches. Right? Pastor Ronald will, will know what I'm talking about, and some of you know. Charity doesn't solve the problem. You need to help find a way to empower them. And sometimes, using money rightly is the way forward. But you see, we're so used to comfort with Christianity that we are blind to the pressures around us. But I want to say to us, friends, the pressures are still there. You read the papers, you know. Is Pakatan Harapan government? Is it a very stable government? Yes or no? They're fighting among themselves. Just look at the PKR elections is coming up. The whole party is going to split if they're not careful. And even when the UMNO leader says we'll get back in power before the five years up, when you look at Pakatan Harapan, and you look at the way that the the, the Past is talking about about Islamization, about pushing the rights of Islam. That we need to emphasize the importance of I AMNO mean, and Pastors get together to re emphasize the, the, the importance, to uphold the rights of the Malays as well as about Islam. You look at the way they're talking. The state situation in Malaysia is still very, very fluid. But a church, God is calling the church to be a blessing to this nation. We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. What? are we doing about that? Do we believe that we have a contribution to make? But a church cannot be a blessing to Malaysia until it confronts the demons within the church. Get rid of all the skeletons in our cupboards. Clean out, act up, and then the Holy Spirit will come and empower the church a blessing to the nation. And that's why we need to ask the Lord to prepare us for a more, a deeper work of His in our nation. And this brings me to the last point. What's the place of prayer in all these things? How many of you remember 1998 Jakarta? Do you know what I'm talking about? 1998 Jakarta, you remember know what I'm talking about? There was the Rafama movement in Jakarta. Suharto so had been reigning like a ruthless dictator for almost 30 years. Finally, the student demonstrations got rid of him. But not only was he got rid of, the law and order in Indonesia broke down. Churches were being burned by the hundreds from oftentimes in some of the years, from the mid-90s onwards. The whole Christian community was deeply threatened. Law and order was breaking down. And there was these armed forces, there were, sorry, there were armed guerrilla groups, the Alaska Jihad, was going from island to island with modern automatic weapons, killing off whole Christian villages. You can check it up in history for yourself. Because in this context, a friend of mine came and saw me and others, and they said, look, what can we do? And it was all that mess, the terrible situation where the church was just being overwhelmed that Iman Santoso and his friends begin to put together a prayer movement for the whole nation. And over the last 20 years, the Indonesian prayer movement has grown. About three or four years ago, one day he came to me, uh, came to me uh, Iman Santoso, hey, Woyang, I'm so glad to tell you this. Do you know the whole movement has grown? At a moment's notice, we are in call for city-wide prayer meetings, in 380 plus cities throughout Indonesia. I don't think we can do it even in one city in Malaysia at the moment. At a moment's notice, we can call for citywide prayer meetings in the whole, in 380 cities in the whole of Indonesia. Those of you who have been following the situation will know that the Indonesian situation has stabilised politically. Problems are not over, but it's much, much better than what it was 20 years ago. And I keep asking my friends, those of you who are with me in Prayer United, do you want to wait for 1999 happening to happen in Malaysia before we as a church begin to learn to come together and to pray? Do you want to wait for the churches to be burned? Imagine something like that, burned. Before we really go to God and say, God, please protect us. Please come and touch us anew. Please come and use us again. I think your pastor is very concerned. Now, he didn't ask me to say these things, but I know that, right? He's very concerned that we take As a church, take prayer seriously. Your Thursday prayer meetings, I want to challenge you to take it seriously. most prayer meetings, about 10 people come, 15, 20 is a good number. Can you have prayer meetings, which is 200, 300, 500? The whole church gathers to pray. That's what you see when you go to Korea, although they are also in trouble. But there was a time when they were much better off. I can still remember my, my supervisor, my PhD thesis was, was a missionary in Korea. And he was there from the late 60s on. He says, you know how cold Korea is in winter? Minus zero. And he says, in those days, was not, Korean churches, you go there now, are all very nice and big. In those days, was not, no, there are very few of these nice buildings. So he says, the old ladies will carry charcoal pots, with charcoal ovens with them, portable charcoal ovens. They'll carry there at 4 a.m. in the morning in a winter day, sit with the charcoal fire in front of and pray. And that's how the revival kept moving in Korea in the 60s and 70s. Get down to prayer, my friends, as a whole church. Dr Chan, my old teacher, runs the Lighthouse Prayer Network. Some of you are involved in it. Why don't more of you join? Individually, Many of you can begin to pray. How much time do you set aside every day to pray? You can't even set aside 10 minutes. I think you're in trouble. I say to my students when they're in SDM, I say, make sure you set as a target an an hour every day for prayer and for Bible reading before you leave SDM. And I say, when you're a pastor, you set aside a target of two hours. I say, you may fail, but it doesn't matter. But that's your target, and you keep working at it. I want to suggest for lay people that you should make a point to set aside at least half an hour, minimum, absolute minimum, to pray and read the scriptures. An hour will be a good target. Think about other possibilities. Get the host of Penang to come together to pray. All the churches pray. Once a year, get a prayer rally where all the churches are involved. I don't think you have done that yet, right? Have you? No? Nope? Huh? not, Huh? Try it, yeah, but it's possible. Many of the Indonesian churches now have got 24 7 prayer towels. In other words, prayer goes on non stop in the churches. One church provides it, the one church you cannot sustain on your own, but you somehow work in such a way that different churches come and share the prayer load. So you might have one place where everybody comes to pray but different people, different churches, different teams will come and pray. That's something for you all to do, think about. I'll close with this illustration. (laughs) Some of you will say, I'm too old. I'm not used to it. Well, I know the difficult answer now, if if Dr. M can do it, we we can't complain about being too old but let me give you another illustration, a better one in terms of prayer. If you Google the new Hebrides revival, Hebrides is H-E-B-R-I-D-E-S, is an island of Scotland. After the Second World War, I think it's 1948, 49 the new Hebrides revival, it will tell you a powerful movement swept across those few islands. And you'll find that it will tell you a story of how the revival started. It was started because there were two sisters, two old ladies, one 82, the other 84. One was blind, the other was so stricken by arthritis that she could not walk straight. The two sisters would pray for the island. Every Tuesday night from 10 p.m. to about 3 or 4 a.m. next morning. And one night as they prayed, one of them saw a vision of a man preaching. And I told the pastor, Call, look for that man. And when the man came, the revival hit New Hebrides. It's a very powerful revival, by the way. People would just get knocked down to the ground, people would just fall to the ground, people would convert. If two old ladies one eighty-two, the other 84, one blind and the other one stricken arthritis, can be the prayer warriors behind a powerful revival. Just imagine what you energetic, young people, middle-aged people, active adults can do. But it's something we need to guard against. Many of us are too caught up With activities of life, career, family, social engagements, but God is saying, what is most important in your life? You need to ask, and God is asking you, can you give me the time and energy and attention that I'm asking of you? Are you concerned about my work in this nation? And God is saying, I'm coming again to bless the nation. Are you going to walk in step with me? Or are you going to be left behind? Let's pray. Talk about things that are so sacred. And if I Said anything out of place or wrongly, please forgive me. But I do want to pray for my brothers and sisters here together. You have spoken to them. I can see on their faces. Grant that none of us none of our hearts will be so hard that we cannot allow your word to get into our lives. Granted, as we pray through these issues in your presence, as we come and listen to what you're saying, you'll do a new work, a fresh work. You would open our hearts to a new work of yours. And then, Lord, tell us what we need to do. We can't do everything, but tell us the one thing that you call each of us to do in our own lives. And grant that we'll be faithful to doing it. So that as you come, as you hear the words of John the Baptist saying, bear fruits worthy of repentance. After me comes one who is mightier than I. I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Lord, give us. A hunger for your coming. Give us a desire to be fully blessed and enable us to walk with you. We ask this in Jesus' name.